Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Live Wire podcast. My name is Luke Burbank. I am your host of both the Live Wire radio show and this thing, the podcast version of the show. Now, what is the difference, you might be asking yourself? Great question. I'm not sure. No, actually, I've got some notes in front of me that I want to tell you about, about the ways that the Livewire podcast is changing a little bit and some fun stuff that we are going to start doing. Um, we're going to start reading your emails and playing voicemails if you leave them for us and just generally making this a place where you can actually hear the Livewire radio show that went out on the radio each week, plus some extra content. There is a phone number that you can now call. The number is 803 597 2346. That could also be translated to 803 LW Radio. I am told that that 803 area code is in Columbia, South Carolina. So, hello to any of our listeners in South Carolina. I do not know why we, a Portland, Oregon public radio variety show, have a South Carolina. Uh, area code on our voicemail, but we do. And again, it's 803-LIVE-WIRE-RADIO, 803-LW-RADIO. Uh, we would love to hear from you. It's really fun doing a public radio variety show. Uh, we love getting to talk to the folks in Portland who come out to see us do the show live. I always have a fun time chatting with them, hearing their thoughts on the show, etc. But if you're one of the many, many thousands of other people who listen to the show around the country either on the radio or by way of this here podcast, uh, we haven't really had a great mechanism for talking to you, and now we do. So the email address to email me about any thoughts you have on the show. You loved something, you did not love something, you want to correct me or one of the guests if a mistake was made. I mean, that's a common experience, right, when you're driving down the road listening to the radio or sitting at home listening to the podcast and the host gets a, a fact wrong or misdescribe something, it can be maddening. I've yelled at my iPhone and at the radio many times in my life. We don't want you to feel that way. So if you want to email us with corrections, uh, encouragements, uh, anything that comes to mind, whatever you want to share with us by way of email, you can do it at heyluke at livewireradio.org. And you can also call us and leave us a voicemail message by calling South Carolina. The phone number is 803-597-2346. Okay, so there's that. Here's another thing to tell you about, the actual episode of Livewire you are about to hear, uh, which uh, we titled Rebel Rebel. This was, I think, one of the best episodes of Livewire I have ever been a part of. Now, I know I'm kind of so setting the bar pretty high there, so hope I didn't just jinx us. But the guests that came through, we had Paul F. Tompkins there, and uh, we had Tim Egan, who wrote a book called The Immortal Irishman, and then we had Patterson Hood from Drive-By Truckers playing some music. And we also had our friend Bree Pruitt, hilarious Portland comedian. And just the energy in the room, the folks there uh, witnessing the show at Mississippi Studios in Portland were just on fire as a crowd. The guests were amazing. Um, there was a moment at the end of the Paul F. Tompkins interview where we started talking about, about what comedy really means. And I will tell you that uh, that it was one of, it was one of the more meaningful things I've heard someone say on our show in a long time. And, uh, and I, I hope you'll, you'll listen through the whole podcast and get to hear Paul and also Tim and Bree and Patterson. We've got an extra song, by the way, from Patterson Hood. See, this is the cool thing about listening to the podcast. We often can't fit everything into the radio version of the show because we're supposed to go an hour, and if we go like an hour and 20 minutes, we end up 
you know, interrupting 15 minutes of an Irish music show or something, depending on what they're playing in your local town. And uh, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the Irish music uh, enthusiasts. You do not want to mess with them. So we have to make the show one hour, but when we're doing this here podcast, we can go as long as we want, and we will. And we're going to bring you stuff that didn't make it into the radio show, like this week, uh, our chat with Bree Pruitt, who was very confused about the theme of the show, which I've already mentioned was Rebel Rebel. She got something totally different in her head. You'll get to hear that. And uh, Patterson Hood played two very powerful songs. And these were not like kind of uh, feel good... (laughs) Saturday night, stomp your feet, uh, have a beer songs necessarily. They were important songs. They were songs that talk about real stuff happening in our modern uh, day world. And they were things that I, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think you're going to hear on a lot of other radio shows or even podcasts. So I'm glad you're going to get to hear both of Patterson's songs. Uh, that is all coming up right about now when we get started with this edition of Livewire. Take it away, Luke. Oh, that's me. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Live Wire! Recorded in front of a live audience in Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon, it's Live Wire. With comedian Paul F. Tompkins, author Tim Egan, music from Patterson Hood, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Live Wire, America's foremost rebel without a clue, Luke Burbank! Thank you very much, Jason Rouse. Thanks to our house band. Thanks for being here, everybody, at Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon. The theme this week is Rebel Rebel, uh, which will make more sense as the show kind of unfolds. Um, I was a bit of a rebel rebel when I was a kid. Um, When I was uh, very young, a toddler, I'm told that I would just scream for no reason, just at random times. Not like crying, but just blood-curdling apropos of nothing, shrieks for a long time. And the church that my parents went to was very uh, filled with the spirit. And one of the uh, members, a very elderly woman, told them that it was because I was demonically possessed. And they needed to get the demon out of me. And my parents, to their credit, kind of pushed back on that. And we did not have the exorcism which I I still appreciate to this day. But the thing is, I don't know if it's because it was the 70s or because of how my parents are wired, but they didn't seem really that insulted (laughs) by someone telling them that their son had a demon living inside of him. They sort of politely declined. And like, can you imagine trying to tell a Portland parent in 2016 (laughs) that their child is demonically possessed? Like, hi, uh, it's Bailey from the Montessori School. We need to talk about Atticus. There's something very serious going on. and Yes, more serious than the nut allergy. It's, um, I, I was a pretty rebellious student. I was kicked out of middle school. I, the high school that I went to literally shut down after my junior year, which was the same year that I got someone pregnant. 
I do not think those events were related, but I can't be sure. And it would seem like an amazing thing if an entire school pretended to shut down just so one student wouldn't come back the next year. <laughs> like everyone's hiding in the biology room with the lights out. Um, into my 20s, I still was pretty rebellious. I would get into it with people even into my 30s. Just a lot of problems with authority and people telling me things I didn't want to hear. And uh, I'm happy to say that I, I feel like I've started to get some sort of handle on it. I've been to a lot of therapy. And the thing that I have been trying to focus on is mindfulness, right? Is like in the moment when I'm having a feeling, taking a moment to, as they would say, attend to myself and also just kind of, <laughs> if I told you the actual thing that I think about when I'm mad, you would never stop laughing through the next two public radio shows airing after this one. This was not something I was planning on talking about, by the way, but the idea of attending to yourself is, cancel the rest of the show, sorry guys. Attending to yourself is this idea that when you're in a moment and you're feeling a lot of feels, there's something probably going on with you and it might be worth checking in with yourself, saying, hey, why am I feeling this way? And what I imagine in that moment when I'm really mad is a little dog named Luke and I pet him. That is, you couldn't make that up because it's insane person talk. Um, but, you know, I do think, by my standards anyway, I've been slightly improving. There's one area, though, that I have not been able to fully control myself, and that is at the airport. Because I hate dumb little rules that I know aren't really doing the thing they're supposed to accomplish, like not being allowed to listen to music when the plane takes off. Because that's one of my favorite things. I like to listen to my tunes, look out the window. It's a whole moment for me. And I would be in this cat and mouse game with the flight attendant, she would be walking by, I would take the earbuds out, and then when she would go strap herself in that weird seat that they sit in facing everyone, I would put them back in. And the reason I feel like this was okay is because they have black box and voice recorders on airplanes. So if something, heaven forbid, happens to the plane, they know what was going on at the end. They can listen to voice recordings, and what they have never heard ever after one crash was the pilots right before the plane went down saying to each other, why did we let the guy in 17A listen to Counting Crows? That has never been what brought a plane down. I'm glad that they have changed the rule, by the way. You can now listen to your music on the airplane because that, that retroactively changes what I did. Because before they changed that rule, I was a jerk who was selfish and endangering the whole plane. Now I am a freedom fighter who saw an injustice and did something about it. I don't want to brag, I just want to tell you, not all heroes wear capes, okay? That's what I'm here to tell you. Uh, our announcer, Jason Rouse, is here also. Let's say hello to him. Hi, everybody. Hi, Luke. Good evening. Jason, it was an unbelievably gorgeous day in Portland, Oregon here today. What do you like to do on nice days? What do you, what do you get out and do with yourself? You canoe? Sure, yeah, I did my normal sort of uh, beautiful sunny day routine. Uh, I slept in really late. I went to a dark restaurant for lunch, had a nap, <laughs> and then came to this theater. So, you know, I drove around in it, and yeah. I was annoyed by the bright sunlight. Uh, but, for, you know, top notch for me, I'd give today like a six. That's good. It was like a, a solid six for me. Yeah, don't rush it. It has not been nice in a long time. And no, I don't want to... You I don't want to... Don't overextend yourself. I don't want to get a cramp or anything. Yeah. I want to just, okay, like, good. ease myself into it. Not a healthy person. Not a healthy, don't want to go too, too far in. But one hell of an announcer while we have you. Feeling pretty good about it. 
Feeling pretty good. Let's get our first guest out here. Any time of the day or night, if you listen carefully enough, you can just hear it. Whispered on the wind. It's Paul F. Tompkins recording a podcast somewhere. He's actually, he's actually doing one backstage right now. It's called, it's called the Tall F Backstage Cast, and it's amazing, I can already tell you that. You may know Paul from Comedy Bang Bang or the Pod F Tomcast, Spontanea Nation, Mr. Show, or his extremely vital political talk show on Fusion TV titled, No You Shut Up. Please welcome the pride of Philadelphia, PA, the very dapper Paul F. Tompkins. Luke, hello. Thank you for having me. I was watching a recent episode of your show on Fusion, and I noticed that uh, basketball uh, made a big appearance. And I wondered, uh, do you go in for sport? I am not. Uh, first of all, if, if, if people are confused and they think the concept of basketball made an appearance on the show like it was a guest, <laughs> that's not far from what happened. Yeah. I would not ever rule that out for No, You Shut Up, <laughs> yeah, conceptually. It was, it was a, a, a piece we were doing to encourage people to vote. Bobby Moynihan made a series of videos uh, that centered around the idea of voting is a basketball. <laughs> and it was just, hey, go to your local church basement or gymnasium to vote. Slam dunk. And then <laughs> Hopefully the youth will <laughs> gravitate towards that. Anyway, I'm not into sports, no. No, okay. <laughs> but I've decided this year is the year I get back into baseball because friends of mine were having so much fun following baseball last year, and it was a lot of my Canadian friends. This is the beauty of social media, is that you can see people in Canada that you don't see that often who are very excited that the Blue Jays are anywhere near having more than five games in a row, that they have won, that they're allowed to continue playing. Yes. <laughs> And I was like, man, that looks like fun. I'm going to get back into baseball. I could see you being a baseball fan because baseball is a very old-timey sport. Yeah. And I feel like you have a real affection for old-timey things. Uh, you, you tie your own bow tie. You host a podcast in the person of H.G. Wells. <laughs> have you always been interested in the things of the olden times? I, I think that I have. I think that I, because my parents were older, they were, I'm the, uh, the second to last of six children. And so my parents were depression babies. They were like, my dad was in World War II. Like they are, they were extremely old all the time. So <laughs> everyone always thought my parents were my grandparents, you know, my friends at school and everything. So growing up, we would listen to like big band music on the radio, you know, because it was the music of their youth and, and old. I, and they taught me a love of old movies and stuff like that. Uh, we're talking to Paul F. Tompkins. You uh, you grew up in, in Philly, as I understand it. And That's you, right. You started out doing comedy there. What was the comedic voice of Paul F. Tompkins, Philadelphia comedian? Um, I think I had a, a, a routine. A skit, if you're someone's parents. Um, I think I had a skit about uh, how... Don't worry, my parents think I'm a DJ. <laughs> so, Is that among, what they tell people? You're among friends. He's a DJ. 
honestly, trying to explain to anyone that you're a comedian is the saddest thing that you can do. <laughs> if, if people don't already know that you are one, and they ask you, what do you do? I won't say it, and I beg my wife, please don't tell people I'm a comedian. Right. If we're like on vacation somewhere or whatever, what do you guys do for a living? I, I'll make up anything to, to avoid this conversation because you're, oh, you're a comedian. Um, oh, how's that, how's that going? It's like, it's, it's, going, it's going well, it's going well. Hey man, keep at it, keep at it. <laughs> and then my cousin, Randy, What's, should, who's you, worse than cousins, Luke? You should do, no, no, but you should do a, you should do a, a skit on him. He's incredible. And then you start to ask, well, how would that work exactly? Yeah. Like, explain how I do a skit on Randy. Give me some him. of the beats. Give me yeah. some of the beats of this skit about this guy. Ironically, I am currently doing a skit about Randy on this show, so I guess they weren't crazy. This just, I mean, I'm actually in the midst of one. This just blew my mind. <laughs> Hold on. We're going to reassemble Paul F. Tompkins' mind and take a short break. This is Livewire Radio from PRI, Public Radio International. Stay where you are. Hey, it's Luke again, back at my home office in beautiful Bellingham, Washington, the Tijuana of Canada. Um, you're listening to the Livewire podcast. We're in the midst of a conversation with the delightful Paul F. Tompkins. If you have not heard the... Um, various podcasts that Paul F. Tompkins does, you are really, really missing out. Uh, one of them's called Super Ego. One of them's called uh, The Dead Authors Podcast. That's a fundraiser for 826, which is an incredible uh, organization that helps kids get in touch with writing and literature and things like that. Um, and then he's got the Pod F. Tomcast. Uh, he's got Spontanea Nation, which I think they cut it out of the intro, but I completely mangled. I called it Spontanation, and the crowd yelled at me during the show in Portland. I meant to tell them to leave that in. I don't care. I'm not embarrassed, you guys. We have a relationship, you and me, you, the podcast listeners, and me, the Livewire radio host slash podcast host. Um, so uh, anyway, check out uh, Paul F. Tompkins' various things that he works on. And also, check out fine Livewire sponsor, Ergo Depot, who asks you, did you ever wonder why your most brilliant ideas surface while you're running, surfing, or dancing? It's because your body was designed to move. And at Ergo Depot, they encourage that by creating amazing products like chairs, stools, and stand-up desks that encourage your body to do what it was meant to do. Visit them online at ergodepot.com. Uh, you can check out their full line, including the Jarvis stand-up desk, a version of which I use when I am hosting the Livewire radio show. Our offices down in Portland are completely outfitted with Ergo Depot um, I'll, I'll call it healthy office furniture, office furniture that moves with you and allows you to be in whatever uh, posture, be it sitting or standing, maybe even kind of just, what, crouching? What are the other postures you could be doing? Anyway, however you want to be standing, sitting, or being, Ergo Depot makes um, great stuff that will help you do that and do it in the healthiest way possible. Check them out over at ergodepot.com to find out all of the cool stuff they're doing. All right, back to our conversation with Paul F. Tompkins here on the Livewire podcast. Welcome back to Livewire Radio, coming to you from Portland, Oregon, and Mississippi Studios. We have Paul F. Tompkins here from uh, so many different podcasts, so many television programs, and also various uh, live stage presentations, which I was... That's right. Have you heard about my miracle elixir? <laughs> I thought it was odd that you showed up at the theater in a horse-drawn carriage that promised to... Uh, convivially fix my humors 
I heard people around these parts suffer from the rheumatiz. <laughs> this is what I wanted to ask you about related to your various stage productions. <laughs> you said something as an intro to one of your shows, and I'll be honest with you, I forget if it was the Pod F Tomcast or the Dead Authors cast or one of the many. They're all great. They should all be downloaded furiously by our <laughs> listeners. But it, I was listening to one of them, and you were talking about doing a show in London. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about how, at this point, when it was recorded, the show was half sold out. And you wanted it to be completely sold out mm -hmm. because you didn't want to be stressed about right. if people were going to come or not. Yes. This is my greatest, deepest fear doing this kind of stuff is that no one is going to come. Always. Always. You're still afraid of that? Yes, because it still happens. <laughs> it's still like, uh, honestly, it, it, if I can come, if I, if I go outside of my home where I live, it's easier to sell tickets to shows. It's easier to get people to come out. But in Los Angeles, I have a show this Saturday. I do a monthly show at uh, Largo at the Coronet. It's a wonderful theater in Los Angeles. Sure. And I've been doing, I've been doing shows there forever, forever. And it's still a struggle to sell the show out. Like, up to the last minute, I have to be tweeting and asking people to come to the show. And I take it personally. Like, at this point, you should know, I'm going to give you a good show. But I feel, I like picture these people like, who else is on the show? <laughs> Don't you worry about who else is on the show. I, I was hoping that if I ever got to Paul F. Tompkins' status, that this, this fear would recede, but it sounds like, but see, what's, unlike my hairline, that is not happening. <laughs> what status do you think that is? Because I'd be curious. Huge sports fan. <laughs> I have achieved that status, yes. Uh, extremely dapper, although you have described yourself as foppish. What is the difference? <laughs> Look, I'm so sorry but you are incorrect. I'm not a fop. I'm a dandy. Oh. I misspoke. A fop, to me, is someone who has at least one painted on beauty mark. Okay. And I just won't go that far. Uh, describe a dan Jason enjoys that. <laughs> Announcer Jason Rouse, would you consider yourself, where are you on the spectrum between uh, <laughs> fop and dandy? Because we're all on this spectrum, yes. you guys. Yeah. Whether you like to admit it or not. There's nothing wrong with it. I haven't it. painted on a beauty mark in about eight years, <laughs> so I'm a recovering fop. Yes. <laughs> what, what makes you dandyish as opposed to dapperish? Uh, well, I think, it, I think a, a, a dandy is always dapper. But someone who is dapper is not always a dandy. You just blew my mind. <laughs> when did you... We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins, by the way. If you've ever laid eyes on the man, you're, a, you're always very well-suited. And uh, you, you, you wear suits when you're doing a public appearance. As I mentioned, you tie your own bow ties. When did you start with this particular look? Oh, when I was a kid, for sure. I, I loved dressing up. Because I always wanted to be in show business. So it was I like, thought it was like eight months ago. No... <laughs> be a weird late-in-life thing, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm going to start dressing like... <laughs> I'm going to start dressing like I'm in vaudeville now. Yeah. After years of hockey jerseys. <laughs> I've had a change of heart. 
Now, for the, for the listener, I'm wearing a suit that's like a, it's a tartan suit. I don't know which tartan it is, but it's a tartan suit. It's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a noticeable suit. And this is the kind of suit that I've had so far from, from the hotel to here. Four people have said to me, nice suit in an intonation that I'm not sure if they mean it in a positive way. Yes. Now, it should be pointed out that this is Portland. Right. And it is a notoriously dressed down city. Sure. Just the fact that you're not They're swaddled keep... in polar fleece right now right. makes you somewhat fancy. They're keeping it weird, I get it. <laughs> They're putting a bird on it or whatever. You guys do you. I'm not yeah. trying to tell you. You don't have to dress like me. I don't want people dressing like me. It would be weird if we all dressed the same and it was like me. But you've clearly... Uh, you, you've clearly sort of pushed through whatever nervousness could surround wearing a suit in a lot of occasions where other people aren't in suits. It's funny you would say that's a weird thing to do as an adult because, like, two years ago, I decided to wear a suit every day for a year mm -hmm. because I am a weird adult. <laughs> and it took me about three or four months to just get over being hyper-aware of the fact that I was in a suit all the time because people say things like, nice suit, and you don't know how to read it. Yeah. So like you don't even feel that anymore. You're just like it's. Uh, this feels like your most comfortable outfit to have on. Luke, you can get used to anything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, I, I like I like clothes a lot, and I like unusual clothes. And I, you know, I'm in show business, so I, I am a little flamboyant. But there are still plenty of people who have to process it, I guess, in some way for themselves. Like, literally asking, "Why are you wearing that?" Like that has been asked of me before. <laughs> like, why are you dressed that way? Um, and you and, say, I'm a comedian. That's <laughs> like, why not? You know, it's fun. Yeah. Like, and, and there's a lot of, of friends of mine who the first instinct always is to make a joke about how I'm dressed. And it's like, well, you know, like, um, I was trying to look nice, too. It's not like I was walking out the door saying, I hope I get a lot of funny comments yeah. on my outfit. Yeah. It's like, these clothes were sold in a store. You know what I mean? It's not like... <laughs> they're real clothes. It's not... <laughs> I didn't have them commissioned by some weirdo. Right. It was like, hey, you're insane. What if you made clothes? What would they be like? Um, it, that looks great. I want to make sure the radio audience knows you look, you look incredible, Paul F. Tompkins. Well, now, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I look, I wasn't fishing, but I like what I caught. <laughs> I... We were talking a minute ago about the, the sometimes the grind it can be to get people to show up for events, and yet I read that you have forsworn doing commercial morning radio appearances so as to promote your events. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, because it never worked, number one. Never worked. And number two, too early. Too early. Why? What, what, are, you, what are we doing, guys? Why are we get? Why am I getting up in the dark to go talk to a bunch of people who they're not tuning into this radio show to hear me? Right? They want to visit with their friends, uh, Goober and the yes, the the chunky style, right? <laughs> and also creature who's down uh, at the sticker stop giving right. away right. Um, yeah, it, it was just a thing where it, it's part of the comedy club system, and so. I would do this, these like morning zoo type shows, and the, the humor had nothing to do with my kind of humor. You know what I mean? And so it's not to say there would not be overlap. There's not, I'm not saying that people who enjoy this radio program will not also enjoy my comedy, but if you're trying to get the most amount of people to come and see the show, 
it's not necessarily going to work every time. You can't just send anybody into this very set format with this very set sensibility, and every, everything's just going to all dovetail beautifully. That is not always the case. And also, too early. <laughs> <laughs> Return to my original point yeah. of too early. Because I work at nighttime, and these guys work in the morning time. <laughs> and so they've been up for hours already because they have made this their lives. And that's on them. <laughs> Don't make it my problem. <laughs> I chose a nighttime job. <laughs> and yes, of course, I sleep in the dirt of my home country. <laughs> so sick of having to justify it. Yes, of course I do. Well, like they say, end on a quiet note. I wanted to ask you something. I wanted to ask you if you, if you were hit hard by the passing of Gary Shandling. You're a comedian, you work in LA. He was a really influential guy. It was it was crazy. It was really crazy because I I it was he was too young. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially nowadays, that's like nothing. Sixty six. It's nothing. I had I had no idea that he ever had any kind of history of illness. And then hearing the story of of how he died was just that doesn't make sense. People, that's not allowed. You know, you can't be you can't be calling nine one one and die while you're waiting for nine one one to show up. That's just not allowed. It just didn't make sense. And also, having not heard anything from him in such a long time, you know, that he hadn't really been that active lately, and, and that he was in this strange, interesting place in his career where he was doing, like, yeah, I'll be an evil senator in a Marvel movie, you right. know? And then, like, maybe I'll turn up at this thing, or, or, like, he would turn up at live shows in L.A., like, Judd Apatow does these uh, kind of showcase shows every once in a while, and, and occasionally Gary Shandling would drop down, and, and it, it was just... It was just weird. It was just like a person that you, you never thought about not being there, mm -hmm. you know? Well, the thing that I was really struck by in reading a lot of interviews with him and listening to people who knew him well talk about him was that the guy brought such a kind of philosophical approach to comedy. People think of comedy as being the Chuckle Hut and Margaret, or whatever yeah. we called that morning show. <laughs> Gary Shanley seemed to be a guy who really thought about it as a way of being and a way of life and being present. I don't know why this turned into the world's weirdest public radio therapy session, <laughs> by the way. But I was just wondering for you, like, do you feel with your comedy like it's part of something larger for you as opposed to, I go up on stage, I try to make people laugh. Is it more of a, I don't know, is it, is it more core to your being and is it something that you can bring other things other than just humor into? I think that it always has been, and I, I think that, you know, from, from when I was a kid and, and making people laugh, how satisfying that was and, the, and the, the validation I got from that. And, of course, that's at the beginning of my career, um, doing open mics and everything. It was all about that validation. It was all about, it was, it was kind of like saying, please tell me that I'm not crazy. I'm good at this, right? Like, I should be doing this. It's like, and you have just enough self-delusion when you start out to keep you going. Because if you look, I'm sure if I look back at any kind of recording of my first year of stand-up, I would say, why did I not quit? Why did <laughs> I keep doing this? You know? But if, if, it's, if, if you would hear three laughs on the recording, you're like, well, that's all I needed was those three laughs to keep going. And then after I'd been doing it for a long time, and then it was just a part of my life. It was my job. And I had the luxury of being able to examine the craft of it and what do I want to do and what do I want to say and what do I feel like saying. Then the idea of establishing a deeper connection with the audience, I realized, oh, this is what it's all about. It's, it's not just about my job is to make you laugh. It's, we're all supposed to be getting something out of this at the same time. And I think what that is is some kind of connection and some kind of feeling that we're not 
alone and we all have kind of the same thoughts you know and that's that's at the heart of a lot of comedy is the people in the audience saying yes i've had that same experience i understand that i that's where the laughter comes from i know what you're talking about thank you for putting that into words you know it's the it's the communal aspect of it that i think probably seemed very corny to me when i was starting out but as i got older i understood it and i i got what that was well, I'm really glad you stuck with it because all the people here are a testament to that community, Paul. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. Thank you for having me. Paul F. Tompkins. Paul, we could not let you go without asking uh, one more thing of you because sure. our theme this week is Rebel Rebel, which of course reminded us of uh, the Rebel Alliance in Star Wars. Of course it did. But the problem is they keep making new Star Warses. I've noticed that. And then they have more Rebel Alliance and they have so many names that are hard to remember. And then there's another place that keeps making things with names that are hard to remember and that place is Ikea. So we thought only Paul F. Tompkins, noted Star Wars and Swedish furniture enthusiast, would be properly qualified to play something we're calling Star Wars Rebel or Discontinued Ikea Furniture? <laughs> Just enough. Just enough. Alternate titles for this game. These aren't the Furkentig you're looking for. And I find your lack of Dagstorp disturbing. <laughs> I feel very confident that I'm going to ace this game okay. because... I was a kid when Star Wars came out and loved it. I've seen all the movies except for the third prequel. Because I was like, I saw the first two, and I'm like, I'm not going to see that other one. Okay, so you know your, your Star's War. Yes, but and also... But do you also, know your Ikea? Yes, because I was a bachelor for many years. Right. Okay, good. Well, uh, you are the person to play this quiz. Uh, first question. These are real, by the way. I want to establish with the audience and with Paul F. Tompkins. We did not just make these up, okay? Star Wars Rebel or Discontinued Ikea Furniture. Gunder Vren. G-U-N-D-A-R or E-R? E-R. But that's a great question. That is discontinued Ikea furniture. Star Wars Rebel. Oh! Oh! Had it had an umlau or what are those slashes through the O. Why don't we have that, guys? I love that. I love that O with the line through it. Yeah, very helpful. We can use, I'm sure we could use that in English. All right, next up. Star Wars Rebel or Discontinued Ikea Furniture. Cashin Senthi. <laughs> Star Wars Rebel. Please, uh, yes. someone in the audience. You guys, this is... You guys... This is very serious. Please do not help Paul F. Tompkins. If you, if you do this, if you call out the answers, it renders this whole thing pointless. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be said, and I'm glad you said it, Paul. Thank you. And you are absolutely right, by the way. That is a Star Wars Thank rebel. You. All right, next up. Uh, Star Wars Rebel or Discontinued IKEA Furniture, Denera Edit. <laughs> Denera Edit? Yep. Star Wars Rebel. IKEA. Can you describe the furniture? Do you know what it was? They did not provide me with that information. What would you think a Denera Edit might be? I think it's like. It's like a nightstand 
that uh, there's one version of it that's the Daenerys that has like a little lip that flips up, uh -huh. and then the edit doesn't have that lip. Yeah. Sometimes less is more. Star Wars Rebel or discontinued IKEA furniture item, Cara Via. IKEA. Star Wars Rebel. What? Talk to J.J. Abrams. You probably know the guy. I will not talk to J.J. He, he knows, knows why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want one more? Yeah. I want a, a dozen more. Okay. All right. Last one, Paul F. Tompkins. Uh, Rebel Alliance member or IKEA furniture thingy. Limerin Ringham. That's gotta be a Star Wars guy. It's Ikea, brother. Oh. We, we don't have 12 more. That's gonna have to be the end of things, this but you know terrible. what? You gave it a good shot. No, I didn't, but thank you anyway. Paul F. Tompkins, ladies and gentlemen. This is Livewire Radio. This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, featuring high-quality meats that are free of antibiotics, added growth hormones, and animal byproducts and feed, because antibiotics belong in your medicine cabinet, not your pork chops. More information at wholefoodsmarket.com. All right, this is Livewire Radio. Let's get our next guest out here. Friend of the show, local comedian, and all-around Portland darling, Bree Pruitt has some thoughts on our theme this week. Are you doing okay there, Bree? I'm awesome. I'm the best. Luke, I feel incredible. I feel okay. I, my skin hurts. Yeah. I drank that Red Bull. Yeah. I drank some others, like backstage. Like, why did you do that? Because I'm super committed to the show, and yeah. you, Luke Burbank, yeah, the thanks. best. And I love journalism, and it's for the theme of the show, Red Bull, Red Bull. I thought it was. Appreciate it. Um, by the way, that's not the theme. What? The theme is Rebel Rebel. <laughs> and we used up about 80% of the time you're supposed to be out here just talking about energy that's okay, drinks. That's okay, that's okay, that's okay. Because I, I did all this research on a Red Bull Rebel, yeah. and we're, I'm going to quiz you okay. because you know that Red Bull gives you wings, but what about the other things that Red Bull gives you? Uh, okay, I, I, I want to so, get you off the stage, but I feel like okay. you have superhuman strength right now. Yeah. So I'm going to let you do this, but can we try to keep it into like okay. a minute? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's plenty of time. Okay, so Luke. Red Bull gives you wings, but Red Bull also gives you spherical jewelry that goes on your fingers. Uh, Red Bull gives you rings? Correct, correct. Give it up for the Burbank. He's doing a great job. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, Red Bull also gives you people with a Mandarin surname originating in the Zhu dynasty. Red Bull gives you borderline racist jokes? <laughs> It's a name. Let me hear an audience. Mings. Mings, correct. Red Bull gives you Mings. Oh, yeah, Red yeah, Bull yeah. gives you Mings. Right, yeah. okay. I didn't even think of that. I don't even see dynasties. <laughs> this is how evolved I am. Very okay. public radio of you. Okay. I'm really worried for you right now. Are you going to be okay? I just, my, I feel orange and on fire, and everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Do we have, is there a medical staff here that can take care of Brie? I really she did drink it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Red Bull 
gives you various items as described by someone with a Cockney accent. Tanks. Red Bull gives you... <laughs> no one what? believes you can do this. Red Bull gives you... Did somebody yell tings? What is it? Red things. Bull? Red Bull oh. gives you things. <laughs> oh, good day, Governor. Yeah. Red Bull gave me these things. <laughs> I, I got it. I got it. I'm getting it. Okay. I'm following. Okay. All right. I feel um, like just I'm inhaling your Red Bull... Like energy yeah. and and carbon uh, dioxide, and it's making me a little energized. I'm putting it out. You really yeah. are. We're really okay. vibing right now, okay. Brie. Red Bull gives you pulses of sound, like when you use a sonar device. Oh, Red Bull gives you pings. Yes. <laughs> Woo! All right. Okay. Okay. Red Bull also gives you a bunch of male monarchs. Oh, kings. Red Bull yes! gives you kings. Yes. Okay, last one. Because I'm getting sleepy, and the last the latter phase. Yeah. Okay, Red Bull. I feel, I feel like I'm at the broiest party right now because bros love to drink Red Bull vodka. And there's so much Red Bull in the air up here. I feel like I'm at like a frat party. I'm, not, I'm not hating it. Okay, I'm just good. telling you what it feels like up here. Last I'm, one. Here we go. Okay. Red Bull gives you loops or fabric like what, to support a broken arm. Red Bull gives you slings. Yay! Which Brie Pruitt will need when she collapses after the show. Brie Pruitt, ladies and gentlemen. Our musical guest this week grew up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where he began writing songs at the tender age of eight. He was playing guitar in local rock bands by age 14 and soon after started his own band called Adam's House Cat. Things did not really work out for that band, but Patterson Hood's next band has done real okay for itself. Drive-by truckers have built a huge following around the world with their alternative country southern rock sound, and we are so excited to have Patterson here playing solo with us this episode of Livewire. Please welcome Patterson Hood to Livewire. Did, did I read that right, that you, you started writing songs at eight years old? I was eight. What do you even have to write about at age eight? My, my third song was based on a, a joke about an ant and an aardvark. So, uh, How'd it go? Yeah. Down in the jungle where the ground is low. Down in the jungle where banana trees grow. Down in the jungle where aardvarks dance. An ant stepped on an elephant's toe. The elephant looked surprised. The elephant said with tears in his eyes, pick on someone your own size. I was eight, you know, I was eight. That's, uh, that's a, a, pretty, uh, a, a pretty decent song for an eight-year-old to write. I'm serious. Like, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty creative. That was what I'd tell myself. It's like, well, I'm, I kind of suck at this, but I'm pretty good for eight. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully by the time I'm 18, I'll be okay for 18, and then it'll, just, it'll work out. Is that, is that a way that you have assessed yourself? Like, okay, it, it I'm, kind of is. I'm, I'm progressing, and as long as I'm going somewhere, I'm I, okay with where I'm at? I hope I'm okay for 52 at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people would agree you're doing pretty okay for 52. Um, your dad was one of the uh, session musicians in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, known as the Swampers. Um, 
and the, the list of people that they played with is unbelievable. It's these astounding. Just, like, this is just a couple. Rod Stewart, Paul Simon, the Staples Singers, John Prine, Cher, the Rolling Stones, and almost endless number of it, others. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, and Bobby Womack, and Willie Nelson. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, he, he, and last year, he spent all year touring with the Waterboys. He played on their most recent record, and he played 117 shows last year. He turned 72 on tour with them in Europe. So, uh, and he's in the Alabama Music Hall of Fame? Yeah. He was in traffic. He, he had only toured once in his life. He was not, a, you know, he was a session guy. He was a studio guy. So he never toured. And he always thought I was crazy because I do what I do and I tour all the time. And then uh, he, he toured in 72 and 73 with the band Traffic. And, uh, and, uh, and he's like, oh, I'm never doing this again. And he went back home and, and, and didn't tour until he was 71 years old and went out with the Water Boys for over 100 shows. But he... Uh, I know it's crazy, but uh, well, what was that like for you? What was that like for you growing up with all of this music around, and also all of these famous musicians? I mean, did you get to go down to the studio and 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 look at all this happening? Very rarely, uh, very rarely. He 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 really didn't want. I mean, kids weren't really welcome at the studio, and uh, and uh, so when the Stones came to town, he actually sent uh, my mom and I out of town to go visit my grandparents <laughs> in Aruba. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's probably a smart decision. It was, it was probably one of the smartest things he ever did. Yeah. And, uh, what does he make of your music that you've made with Drive By Truckers and also the solo stuff you've done? Well, you know, our our generation gap was punk rock. When when before before like I was in junior high school when the Clash and all of that happened, and I was uh, before that we kind of had you know similar taste, and then all of a sudden I liked music like that and he didn't and so that was our generation gap and so when i first started playing in bands he's like you know you know you need to tune your guitars you know <laughs> but uh but he's he's cool with it now he i mean he he, he he's my dad's great and he, he's he's actually coming to see me next week so it'll be it must be so cool for him to come see like a trucker show and just see all those people singing along oh, and he, to he realize loves it. he loves it yeah yeah well what are we gonna hear here um i'm gonna play um I'm actually going to do a song I just recently wrote that's going to be on the next Trucker record. And uh, so it's an unreleased song. And uh, our new record is uh, it's, it's, it's pretty political about all the stuff that's going on right now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a scary, crazy time. And uh, so we've, we've kind of written a bunch of pretty timely songs about it. And uh, so I'm going to do one of those right now. This is Patterson Hood here on Livewire. Clouds outside my window See the fresh pain of the comfort shade On this new fall day Smell the coffee surge The morning veins from half an hour ago I hear the sound of shots and screams Out in the hallway Camping out again down the roadways It's me and Joan and a couple of friends on this beautiful trail 
Saw the sun slide down behind a mountain in these great cascades. Saw a mighty hawk swoop down upon a stream to devour its prey. But now we're moving chairs in some panic mode to barricade the doors. As my heart rate surges from adrenaline and nerves, I feel I've been here before. I made it back from Mel's attack, some distant bloody war. Only to stare downhill back home. Inside my mind I wander freely past this rocky shore Waves crash against the banks where Lewis and Clark explored We're all standing in the shadows of our destined intentions of something more Than being shot in the classroom in Oregon But it's a morning like so many others with breakfast and birthdays the sun is shining brightly in my way I see birds soaring through the clouds outside my window Heaven's calling my name from the hallway outside the door Heaven's calling my name from the hallway outside the door show is brought to you by Alaska Airlines with 38 non-stops from Portland and this winter adding Austin, Texas, where Livewire airs on KUTFM. Go from chilly and rainy to chilly reinos in just a couple hours. Learn more at alaskaair.com. Our theme this week is Rebel Rebel, which makes it a perfect week to talk to Timothy Egan about his new book, The Immortal Irishman. It is the insane story of Thomas Marr, who tried to lead an Irish rebellion against the British and then was sent to prison in Tasmania, only to escape to the US, where he fought heroically in the Civil War and then became governor of Montana. <laughs> what the hell are you doing with your life, listeners <laughs> and host of this show? Please welcome Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times columnist and Irishman, Tim Egan to Livewire. <laughs> Tim, welcome to the show. Hi, Luke, great to see you. I was riveted by this book. The Immortal Irishman. When was the first time you knew that a guy named Thomas Marr existed? Yeah, well, most people have never heard of him, and you know, I was somewhat of a lapsed Irish-American myself. I mean, 
my dad would sing these silly songs like, you know, have you ever been into an Irishman's shanty where food is scarce and liquor is plenty? These sort of stereotypical drunken Irish songs. And we ate, you know, Lucky Charms. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so but serious I, Irish right, culture. Right, exactly. exactly. I mean, really, you know, even though it's on both sides of my family. But so I was, I was outside of the Montana Capitol about six years ago talking to the governor, Brian Schweitzer. And there's this giant equestrian statue, guy, sword thrust into the air, the horse facing the Rockies. And at the base of the statue is this incredibly powerful rebel description of, you know, we'll fight the Brits and we'll be free once, you know, and this, I go, what the hell, who's this guy? And he looks at me and he says, you call yourself an Irish American? You don't know who Thomas Francis Mars. And he was probably the most famous Irish American until John F. Kennedy came on the scene. I am also uh, Irish American, and I have to admit, I didn't know a lot of this stuff, even about the history of Ireland under British rule. We should also mention, if you look up Thomas Marr, look for a guy whose name looks like it should be Thomas Meager. Yeah. Because it's M-E-A-G-H-E-R, right? Right, right. It took me 80% of the book to start saying Marr in my brain when I read Meager. Yeah, it's a big Tipperary County clan. So uh, that's the guy we're talking about. But uh, what was life in Ireland like? Uh, in the, this was around 18 what? When he well, was... early Victorian age. He's about the same age as Queen Victoria. But here's the thing you need to know. For almost 700 years, and any Irishman or woman can tell you this, but not a lot of Irish Americans, for almost 700 years, it was a crime to be Irish. They outlawed your language, which was Gaelic. They outlawed your religion, which was Roman Catholicism. They kicked you off your land. A million Irish died in a horrible famine, now recognized as one of the worst crimes of Europe. They outlawed the harp. That's why the harp is on the bottle of Guinness, because it's a martyr's instrument. They actually would pluck the fingernails of harpists. So they outlaw their sport. Don't applaud for that. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was really, that's really, hey, kill the harpists. I mean, that's actually what, um, what uh, Queen Elizabeth in the 15th century said, uh, is kill the harp, find the harpists wherever they are and hang them. So I mean, because it was this rebel instrument. It was this thing that, that somehow showed you were still defiantly Irish. Because the British. And I know a lot of people just know this instinctively, but I hadn't really read about it in the detail that's in this book. The British came into Ireland, and they wanted to control it, and they wanted to essentially break the spirit of the right. Irish people and take away the culture. And then this guy, uh, you know, there had been other revolutionaries before, but then you find this guy, Thomas Marr, who's amazing with his ability to speak in public and make the cause for a free Ireland, right? Right. So a lot of people think that the gift of gab is in the Irish DNA. It was certainly in Marr's DNA, because he... This guy could just talk and just hold 50,000 people wrapped. Now, he was a rebel when he was 22, 23 years old. He was sentenced to be hanged, drawn, and quartered when he was 25. He was banished to spend the rest of his life in Tasmania when he was 26. It should be mentioned, too, he came from a very prominent family. He could have been rich and happy uh, and and had an untroubled life even in Ireland at this right. time, but some for some reason he wasn't willing to just be the Kardashian of his time. Right. No, I was going to say. So you were talking about fops earlier. Huh. He was sort of foppish initially as a kid. He he spoke five languages. He came from this very wealthy family. He looked like a really young Hugh Grant when he was always throwing his hair back, you know, and that sort of early Hugh Grant phase. That's sure. what he looked like. But what radicalized him? What so changed him? was the great crime of Ireland. A million people died in four years' time in the famine. Now, ostensibly, it was caused by the potato blight. But in fact, more food was shipped out of England than any other part of the British Empire at a time when a million Irish died. And that's what radicalized him. 
So, yeah, this was something I didn't know until I read the book. I had heard of the potato famine. I assumed there was just no food in Ireland. But you write, there was enough food in Ireland for people to eat, for everyone there to be okay, right? Right. So Mars' thing was, let's storm the ports. Let's, Irish hands were raising this food. It was being grown on Irish land, but it wasn't going into Irish mouths. Now, 150 years later, British Prime Minister Tony Blair apologized to the Irish for the role in the famine. And he said, well, yeah, you know, we've made a few mistakes. And that's, to most Irish, that is the prime mistake. It was, it's the great, great crime of Ireland. If we have any Brits here, we need you to leave now. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I know, we it's going to be a rough night. We cannot offer right. you a refund, but we do appreciate you coming right, out. Right. See you on another show when it's more British friendly. Um, we got to take a quick break, Tim. I want to talk more about this, uh, about this adventure of Thomas Marr. He goes to Tasmania. He comes to the U.S. He fights in the Civil War. He had an incredible life. Uh, Tim Egan is here from the New York Times. His new book is The Immortal Irishman. Short break and then back with more Livewire coming to you from Public Radio International. Hey, it's Luke again. We are taking another short break here on the Livewire podcast. We're in the midst of chatting with the delightful Tim Egan. I don't know if I told this story. I feel like I've told this story at some point on Livewire, but you know, Tim Egan is from Seattle, which is where I'm from originally as well. He's a pretty big deal. He won a Pulitzer Prize. And I kind of knew about him, but he certainly did not know about me. And he won a huge literary award one time. And it was in the paper in Seattle. And on that same day, I happened to go into a restaurant he was in. And I went up to him and I said, like, congratulations on your award. And I don't think he knew that anybody knew about the award. And he certainly didn't know why this weird guy was was approaching him in Cafe Lago, <laughs> Italian restaurant in Seattle. Um, so that was our first meeting. Thankfully, we've had subsequent meetings where I've been able to prove to him that I'm not completely deranged. And it was really fun having him on the show. I recommend this book, too, The Immortal Irishman, uh, to anybody who likes rip-roaring tales of, 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 of dashing do and of, uh, you know, the human spirit, really. I mean, seriously, it's a really, really cool book. Um, you know what else is really cool? The fact that Livewire, this podcast, and, and maybe you might say more importantly, radio show, is able to exist. That is really cool. And that happens because of our League of Extraordinary Listeners. These are people who are members of Livewire Radio. You know the deal. You listen to public radio, right? You know, they, they get on there a couple times a year, and they tell you that it's not free to make this kind of stuff, and that if you are like what is happening, uh, could you please kick a few bucks in to help make sure that it keeps happening? Well, here we are, I think, at around the middle of this uh, version of our radio show, Rebel Rebel, this week. You've made it this far. So clearly you find something about what we're doing entertaining, informative, engaging, and useful. You like what you're hearing because you're still hearing it. We ask that you would just take like five minutes max, maybe not even that long, maybe two minutes, to go over to livewireradio.org and to find out about joining the Livewire team by donating a small, small sum of money to us each month. We have all kinds of amazing thank you gifts uh, that we will send you that are provided by our sponsors. I promise if you're just doing it for the thank you gifts, you will still be making out like a bandit in this deal because we have all kinds of cool stuff, tote bags and mugs and T-shirts and, and uh, coffee and just like way more than $10 worth of stuff, which we will send you if you donate us. Uh, that's not how you say it, donate us. If you donate $10 to us, uh, we will send you all kinds of cool stuff and we'll use all the money to buy me um, a grammar dictionary so I know how to actually speak 
on the on the podcast and on the radio show. So please go over to LiveWireRadio.org, uh, become a member of our of our listener team because it really is the only way that we're able to do this, and we we just we need you and we appreciate it. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Let's get back to the show. More LiveWire Radio starts right now. Welcome back to LiveWire Radio, coming to you from Portland, Oregon. My name is Luke Burbank. I am your host. We are talking about rebels this week. And Tim Egan is here, author of a new book called The Immortal Irishman, which is about a guy named Thomas Marr who tried to start a rebellion in Ireland. It got shut down really quick. Like, it lasted for a day, basically. Right, right. And then uh, they eventually ship him to Tasmania, which at that time was called Van Diemen's Land. Right. Which makes that U2 song make way more sense to me. <laughs> but he ends up escaping, and he gets to the U.S. And when he gets to the U.S., he's a hero to the Irish Americans who have flooded New York in particular. Right. But he's hated by something called the Know Nothing Party. Yeah, and that was their formal name. They were the Know Nothings. They're the only... Right, they gave themselves that name. That's right, the insane right, right. part. Right, right, I mean, they were known as... They were the second biggest political party in the United States during the 1850s. They were the only political party in our history founded in opposition to a single ethnic group, that being the Irish. So they did everything they could to prevent the Irish from becoming citizens. They burned neighborhoods and churches, actual pogroms in Irish neighborhoods in Philadelphia. They passed laws making it difficult for the Irish to become civil servants. Their main thing was that nativists, 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 you know, go back to Ireland, you scum. There were almost two million Irish who had fled the famine because the famine, as I said, a million died, but almost two million had nowhere. They had to get these little coffin ships. And it's the first in our waves of immigrants that would come, but they bore the brunt of it. So the reaction was the Know Nothing Party. You know, these the Irish were too clannish. They play their music all night. They got the storytelling, a little bit of drinking, um, you know, and, and they filled the jails. I mean, the word paddy wagon came to describe the, the vehicle that would go round up the Irish. The word hooligan was invented to describe an Irish on a bad night. And you know, so the, the Know Nothing Party, they got the name because when these uh, acts of violence would be committed, they were instructed to basically say, I don't know anything. The, the, I don't know who did it. The colonel, what's his name yeah. in Hogan's Heroes? Yeah, right. I, I know nothing. Right, right. So that's, that's exactly, they took a pledge to say, I, I know nothing. Um, if only, Tim, this book had any parallels to the current political climate right. in the United States. <laughs> Maybe next book you'll get right. lucky with that. I know, you teed that up for me, didn't you? Right. No, I mean, what I was struck by when, um, well, I was not going to say his name, but when Donald J. Trump... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, came down the escalator stairs with Melania and uh, announced his thing and gave the famous speech now where he said, they're criminals, they're rapists, they send their worst people, and some of them, I assume, are good people. Um, you could absolutely substitute the word Irish for Mexican, and the same speech was given in the 1850s. So you like to think we get this strange... You know, everyone here is from somewhere else, unless you're the 1% of the population that's Native American. But you like... This strange just comes and goes. So it's it's been... You know, I've been touring all over the country. It's been amazing to get this response from people saying they didn't realize that, you know, th that wave of resentment, anger, and outright hatred. I mean, kick them out of here. They passed laws to make the ships smaller so that fewer people would come started with the Irish, and then we saw it in periodic times later. Well, um, how was it that the Know Nothing Party was defeated, asking for a friend? <laughs> uh, a, a gentleman named Abraham Lincoln came along and changed the discussion. Uh, he had a big heart, and he, did, you know, he won, this, won the election in 1860. He didn't carry a single state in the South, but the Know Nothing, Nothing Party was a, had a slaveholder at their ticket, and then they largely dissolved after that. Now, the big question was which side would the Irish fight on? 
because they were told that if you free these four million blacks, now remember, the United States was the largest slaveholding nation on earth, four million people in human bondage, and they were told if you free these people, they'll take your crappy jobs. So the Irish built the sewers, they built the canals, they took care of other people's children, they wiped the noses of the rich kids, they, did, they swept the manure away into the Hudson River 6,000 pounds at night, and, and they were afraid of losing those terrible jobs. So their big question was which side would they fight on? Marr said, of course we'll fight for the, this is the country that gave us refuge. And so he did, he fought in the Civil War, and then uh, he ends up in Montana of all places, where he was the sort of, I guess, would you call it interim governor? Yeah, he was called the acting governor. What happened was he showed up in Virginia City, Montana, which is now almost a ghost town. It sits at 6,000 feet, and there's, you know, there's a corpse dangling from a tree. There's a drunk rolling down the main street. This is back then, not currently. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> make sure. Although you, they do reenactments, yeah. so you can still see this. Uh, you know, it was, it was Deadwood. It was absolute Deadwood. Marr shows up thinking he's going to be the deputy, the, the secretary, and this well-dressed gentleman is there, and he hands him a sheath of papers, and he said, you're governor, I'm out of here. And, and, and this guy gets on a stage and is never seen again. That's how I got the job hosting this show. Right. <laughs> Good luck. So, so, similar career path. Right. And, and then uh, the, the end of the book, well, Thomas Marr, you mentioned he died at age 43, he died under incredibly mysterious circumstances. He disappeared off of a boat, right? Right. So you can start a bar fight. Of course, it doesn't take much to start a bar fight in Montana, but you can start a bar fight by bringing up the circumstances of Mars' death. It is the oldest mystery in the state of Montana. And, you know, I'll just say that he, here once again, in the fifth epoch of his life, he was always fighting injustice. He realized the Irish died in the Civil War to free blacks, and that he came to embrace that African-American citizenship. He got well ahead of all the other immigrants, in fact. But in Montana, he runs into the largest vigilante campaign in history, where they're summarily hanging people, executing them in a constitutional democracy without any trial. So he comes up against the vigilantes, and that's his last big fight. And you make a really interesting case for how you think things sort of ended for Thomas Marr in the book, which I will not Thank you. Uh, uh, give away to people, right. but I will just tell them that they got to get a hold of this book. It's called The Immortal Irishman. It's by Timothy Egan, and it's a great read. Tim, thanks for being on the show. Great to be on. Thanks. Thank Tim Egan, ladies and gentlemen. This week's show is brought to you by New Belgium Brewing. Spring has sprung, and that means drinking light, refreshing beer and taking spontaneous weekend trips. Now there's a beer that combines both of those things. It's called Side Trip, a quaffable Belgian-style ale that's perfect for those side trips you'll be taking this spring. Find out more at newbelgium.com. Here we are at the end of the show, everybody, but not before I roam around in the actual audience here in Mississippi Studios and ask people what they may have learned. Whose foot did I just step on? Yours? Yes. What is your name? Ella. Ella, where are you from? Portland. What did you learn in the last hour, Ella? I learned that it's really hard to tell the difference between Star Wars characters and Ikea furniture. I had no idea either. Did you, watch, uh, did you watch the new Star Wars? I did. What did you think of it? I really liked it. Have you been to an Ikea? Yes. What did you think of it? I did not like that. Um, young lady in the necklace who's been yelling things from the audience all show. 
Hello, I'm Perla. Uh, Perla, uh, what did you learn in the last hour? Um, the book, The Irishman, um, just how parallel that is. And when he mentioned the Donald Trump speech, where I was affected as a you know Mexican-American first generation, how it's so parallel. And I want to read that book now. Anybody else have a thought? What's your name, buddy? I'm Craig. What did you learn, Craig? That real people, at some point, actually found harps threatening. <laughs> Now you know when you drink a pint of Guinness, you're not just a degenerate, you're a freedom fighter. That's amazing. Craig, thank you. All right, I think that's a lot to learn in an hour. Let's say thanks to our guests, Paul F. Tompkins, Timothy Egan, and Patterson Hood. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot and Alaska Airlines, hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels, Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of LiveWire. Laura Hadge is our producer and editor. Our announcer and writer is Jason Rouse. Ben Coleman and Bree Pruitt wrote for this week's episode. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director. House Sound by D. Neil Blake. Our on-air mix by Sean Flora. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Additional funding provided by the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, and the Oregon Community Foundation. To find out more about the show or how to become a member, go to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Furbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Okay. That's uh, just about it for the Livewire podcast this week, Rebel Rebel. I'm going to tell you, this is where the radio show ended. For the people that were listening to us on the terrestrial radio, I'm sure they had a heck of a time, but then that heck of a time came to an end. And then they went on with their life. I don't know what they did. I don't know them. I mean, I'm sure they did something fun and interesting. But you, the podcast listener, it doesn't end where it ended for the radio show people. We've got one more Patterson Hood song for you. Uh, this one is a pretty amazing. It's a new song uh, that he's put together. It's for the new Drive-By Truckers record, we're told. And it's some powerful stuff. It really is. Um, so uh, that's coming your way in a second. Just one more quick reminder. Hey, Luke at LiveWireRadio.org. I got to tell you, this whole, like, have me talk about the idea of LiveWire uh, and then play you the LiveWire radio show, this was my idea. I do not know if... The bosses of Livewire think it's a great idea or not. And if none of you email, uh, I will know that they were right. So I guess if you if you think this was a terrible idea, don't email. But if you think there was at least some kind of a fun, entertaining quality to having me, your host, kind of narrate you through things, send an email, will you? Hey, Luke, at LivewireRadio.org, or uh, give us a call, uh, 803. It's a local call if you're in South Carolina, 803 803- 597-2346-803-LW-RADIO. If we get any calls or emails uh, this week, I will read them and play them for you next week. How about that? we got another great show coming up for you uh, in just, uh, I don't know what it is, six or seven short days. My goodness. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting LiveWire, and thanks for being the amazing, awesome people you are out there in listener land. Um, you know, I do this other podcast called TBTL, and we have a little catchphrase we say at the end of the show and have been for many years we say no mountain too tall and good luck to all but i don't know what the i don't know what the sign off for the livewire podcast should be we haven't really done it this way before um so i guess i'll just say thanks for listening 
Uh, we'll see you next week. And also, we need suggestions on a good way to end the Livewire podcast. So send those in as well. All right, here's some Patterson Hood for you. Have a great week. Two sides calling names out of anger, out of fear. If you say it wasn't racial when they shot him in his tracks, well, I guess that means that you ain't black. It means that you ain't black. I mean, Barack Obama want, and you can choose where to eat, but you don't see too many white kids lying bleeding on the street. But it could be anywhere It could be right here on Ruth Street In fact, it's happened here And it happened where you're sitting Wherever that might be And it happened last weekend It'll happen again next week And when they turned him over They were surprised there was no gun I mean, he must have done something or else why would he ever run? And they'll spin it for the anchors on the television screens So they can scratch their heads without asking what it means What it means stores and someone was reminded they ain't called colored folks no more I mean we try to be politically correct when we call names what's the point of post-racial when old prejudices remain and that guy who killed that kid down in Florida standing ground is free to beat up on his girlfriend and wave a brand new gun around while some kid is dead and buried and laying in the ground with a pocket full of skittles. What it means
Astrophysics at our fingertips We're standing at the summit And some man with a joystick Lands a rocket on a comet We're living in an age Where limitations are forgotten The outer edges move and dazzle us But the core is something rotten Cause we're standing at the precipice of prejudice and fear we trust science just as long as it tells us what we want to hear we want our truths all fair and balanced long as our notions lie within it there's no sunlight in our asses and our heads are stuck up in it and our heroes may be rapists who watch while we dream but don't look for me for answers cause I don't know what it means what it means What it Patterson Hood.